God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the Master has set out for you. Well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use, so you will be able to stand up to everything the Devil throws your way. Yes, stand, truth banded around your waist, righteousness as the protective armor that covers your heart, and standing with feet protected and alert, always ready to share the blessings of peace. At all times, carry faith as a shield, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. And embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance, like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies. Finally, take the mighty, razor-sharp spirit sword of the Word of God. So, put on God's armor now, fight to the end, hold your ground, and rise victorious. I want you to imagine with me that you have been invited to participate in a contest, a photography contest. And the subject matter is creation, and the winner is going to be the person who best captures the idea of peace as expressed by the creatures that God has made. What kind of photograph would you submit for something like that? Say, for instance, might you submit a picture of a pair of kittens all curled up in a basket, just resting there like only kittens can do. I mean, that is so beautiful. You want to take them home, don't you? Or perhaps uh, you would photograph something like this, these fawns who are uh, grazing in a meadow that skirts around a mountain surrounded by pines and cedars that are as high as skyscrapers. But let me ask you a question. Does peace always have to be in tranquil circumstances? Take this picture I found by Marco Bustos, high atop waterfall cliffs in Portugal. I mean, you've got these torrents of water just falling down and crashing and boiling and steaming and creating a tumultuous atmosphere. But right in the midst of all of that, there's this mother stork who is watching over her sleeping and restful little babies, surrounded by all that noise, there's a sense of peace there right now. As you think about that, I'm reminded of something that Tim Ritten, the author, wrote in his book, Deep Down. He says in that book, peace does not depend on tranquil circumstances or the absence of animosity. That if the only time we think we'll ever have peace is when our circumstances are in, in good shape, when everything around us is tranquil, we will never find peace, at least a peace that will last. What does it really mean to have peace in your life? I'd like to invite you to explore a biblical idea with us that comes out of our text we're going to look at in a little bit. The idea is simply this. Peace does not depend on my changing circumstances. Instead, it rests on knowing and experiencing what God has done for me in spite of any situation. Now, look at that statement for a moment with me, because you can read it in a couple of ways. Peace does not depend on my changing circumstances, meaning, you know, Sometimes we don't like our circumstances. We look for grass that is greener on the other side. 
That does not guarantee peace. And sometimes you're just standing there and life is just changing quickly, sometimes in the moment in front of you. That's not peace. Our peace isn't found in the externals. Our peace is found in what God does for us. So I want to welcome you back to our series, Overcoming Evil, the Victory. You know, we've been looking together at the armor that God has given to us that Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 6. And so we began our series by talking about the belt that the soldier would wear, and he would tuck his tunic into that, giving him freedom of movement and a sense of security. We said what that belt was to the soldier, truth is to our lives, that we need to tuck our whole life into the truth of God's word. Then we talked about the uh, lorica segmentata, or the chest cover, the breastplate that the soldier would wear to protect from being attacked and injured by arrows or spears or other pointed projectiles. It was important to cover up the vital organs. And we said the most vulnerable, vital place in our life is that deepest place in our life where we think deeply and feel deeply about our worth and our value. And we said that our worth and our value cannot come by our achievements or by other, other people judging us. Our worth and value comes based on what Christ has done for us. His righteousness that we have been draped in. What God has done for you and for me. Well, now we're going to transition and we're going to talk about the footwear of the soldier, what he would wear. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. Paul says, And as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So let's talk for a moment about the sandals that the soldiers wore. We think of soldiers wearing boots, but in those days, they were more like sandals that they would wear. And for the soldier, the sandals for the Roman soldier was very, very important. It provided three different things provided them traction. Now, our sandals don't have it, but in the Roman sandals, they would actually embed pieces of metal so that the soldier would have a grip on slippery sources uh, that are on, on slippery uh, places where they would be standing. They were the original cleats, if you think about that. They also provided a sense of protection because oftentimes when the soldier would go into battle, the enemy would drive in pointed, sharp stakes into the ground, sticking out about an inch. And if you don't have tough soles on your sandals and it punctures that and goes into your foot, it's over for you as a soldier. And finally, it provided mobility. They were lightweight, they were tough, but you could move quickly. And it is said that that is why Alexander the Great was so successful in battle. It's because his soldiers could move faster and further than the enemies. So the soldiers' sandals were very important to him when he went into battle. So the question becomes, what does that mean for you and me? What is the spiritual application of these sandals that Paul tells us to put on? Well, we'll go back to the verse. I want you to pay attention to something very important. Paul says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, normally our attention goes right away here to this sense of the gospel of peace. And we're going to get there. But the real focus is this whole concept of readiness. See, it's the gospel of peace that gives me a readiness in my life. So the question becomes, what does this word readiness mean? 
When you look it up in original language, it means to be nimble, means to be light-footed, means to be sure-footed. It means to be able to pivot or react to circumstances quickly. So I was thinking, um, what, what would illustrate this for us? And I came across this video of a pair of amazing figure skaters. And I just want you to watch this for a moment. It is, it is so, it's just fun to watch them in action. Pay attention to this. Wasn't that absolutely amazing? I mean, talk about nimble, light-footed, sure-footed. Talk about being able to pivot and react. I mean, it's just awesome to watch them. And in a sense, what Paul's saying is that's, that's what God wants for your life. No matter how you get flung in life, peace allows you to kind of land grounded, so to speak. But what is that, what is that nimbleness, that light-footedness, that sure-footedness look like in our lives? Let me give you some descriptions. When you have the peace of God, all right, it's really describing a readiness that entails an attitude of the heart and the mind. It's like, it's like I've got a peace in my mind and therefore I have a peace in my attitude no matter what my circumstances. I'm ready with my attitude. I'm ready with my thoughts. Secondly, it's the ability to take tough circumstances just like those sandals could, you know, be tough and walk over those projectiles. When you have the readiness of the peace of the gospel in your life, you can, you can walk through tough circumstances. Thirdly, it's to not be easily surprised. There's a sense in which we wake up every day and we say, God, we know you're in control, so whatever happens today, you already have previewed. I am not going to be shocked by it. Number four is the preparedness for change and action. Change happens to us all the time, and we have to act. And so we act with a sense of readiness and peace. Also, it's a willingness and ability to adapt energetically. So, hey, this has happened in my life. So I'm going to react in a, in a way where I'm prepared and I'm energetic about, about what the opportunity is or the challenge that God has allowed to come in front of me. Now, I was thinking to myself, who models that for us in the scriptures other than our Lord Jesus Christ, who's the ultimate model of all these truths? And I thought about one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, Joseph. I just love Joseph. And I, and I so uh, appreciate the example of his life in the Scriptures because it gives me something to, to aim for and something for you to aim for as well. I mean, think about Joseph's life. I mean, Joseph was hated by his brothers, hated to the point that they wanted to kill him. If it hadn't been for his older brother Reuben, they might have done it. And then he's betrayed by his brothers. He's thrown into that pit, hauled out, and sold into slavery. Can you imagine that? There in Egypt, he's serving in Potiphar's home. And Potiphar's wife has this thing for Joseph. And she's constantly trying to seduce him until one day they're alone in the house. And she grabs him and says, sleeps with me. And he literally runs out of his coat. Then she lies to her husband about him and says he tried to rape her. And poor Joseph gets thrown into this prison. While he's in the prison, he meets 
the butler who serves the Pharaoh who must have done something wrong because Pharaoh put him in the prison. He has a strange dream. Joseph says, I'll tell you what the dream means. God has revealed it to me. He tells him, he says, now remember me when you get out, please. When you're back in your position as butler to Pharaoh, tell him, get me out of here. And one of the saddest verses in the passage says that he forgot all about Joseph. Until Pharaoh had a dream he couldn't understand. And the butler remembered, oh yeah, there was that guy in prison who told me my dream. Maybe he can tell Pharaoh his dream. So Joseph is taken out of the prison. He meets Pharaoh. He tells Pharaoh what the dream means because God reveals it to him. And he's elevated from a prisoner to the second most powerful person in the world. Well, there's a famine in the land and his family shows up to buy some food in Egypt. His brothers come. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him at first. It's his opportunity to take vengeance on them. But what does Joseph do? He forgives them because he sees this was all in God's plan. That is the model of what it means to live in readiness because of the gospel of peace. It is profound. Joseph had this sense that God knew what he was doing and he could live in readiness. Now we're going to come back to Joseph a little later on in the message and talk just a little bit more about how he did that. But it has to do his relationship with God. And so the question is, how can you and I do that? How can we live that way? But here's the problem. We're at war with God. Yes, we are at war with God. We are born at war with God. We are rebels by nature. So it's hard to have peace in your life when you're at war with the peace giver, when you're at war with the peacemaker. Paul put it this way in Romans. He said in chapter 8, for the sinful nature is always hostile. The other word that's used there is enmity, is that enmity to God or with God. It never did obey God's laws. That's true. And it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature, which is how all of us are born, and until we're born again, we're under the control of our sinful nature. And even as believers, we still fight that nature and wants to take over. It says, until we are under the control of the Holy Spirit, we're never going to know peace. Because as long as we're under the control of our sinful nature, we cannot please God. And that's the only way you can have peace with God is you have to be able to please him 100%. So what does it mean to be at enmity with God or to be hostile towards God? Well, the word means to be in perpetual opposition towards God. It means to be obstinate with God, at odds with what God wants in our lives. And what that does is it not only creates a hostility towards God, it means that I'm not only at war with God, but in a sense, I put God at war with me. Because the Bible says God can in no way excuse the guilty. God can't just pardon us. God needs 100% obedience and perfection from us, and none of us are able to deal with that. And so what does God do? He allows his grace to triumph so to speak, over his judgment. He allows his love to exceed his judgment. Look what it says again in the book of Romans. Paul says, therefore, 
got this big mess going on, right? Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, oh, wow, look what's happened. I can't reconcile myself to God, but God has reconciled me to him. And he's done it, and all I have to do is put faith in what he has done. He goes on, he says, we have peace. There's the word. We have peace now with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. So there it is. There's the peace. It's found in a person. It's found in Christ. God has done something with his son, Jesus, that if I put faith in what Christ has done and who Christ is, I'll have peace in my life. When we are utterly helpless, and that describes all of us, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were sinners and still his enemies, we certainly will be saved through the life of his son. Now, what I want to do is I want to diagram how God has made peace with us, made it possible for us to have peace with him through Christ. So if you want to draw with me, you can. I like these little symbols that helps as a memory tool for me. But let's just imagine the cross for a moment, all right? And in this upper left corner on this cross, draw my cross again, I want you to just write the name God, okay? So God is up here. And then write a reference. It is Romans chapter 6, verse 23. In that passage, it says, for the wages, the consequences of our sinfulness is death. End of story. I cannot work my way around that. No amount of my goodness and my efforts, we talked about that in our last message, will ever qualify me to enter into God's presence. It just can't be done. Down here, though, I want you to draw a human being. And I want you to put the reference Romans 3, 23. In that passage of Scripture, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that's the impasse, right? I cannot cross over. So what does God do? God sends his son, Jesus, who dies on the cross for our sins and offers us the good news of forgiveness and grace and mercy. We have to be willing to open our arms up and receive what he has done for us. Now, there are some people who might be listening to me or who you know who would say, but I'm not at war with God, right? I, I have respect for the big guy, the man upstairs. You've heard expressions like that. And I'm trying to live this decent life down here and I... You know, I just think if I, if I live a good enough life, God up there is okay with that. I'm good with God. I'm not angry at God. I'm not at war with God. I don't know what you're talking about. But if you say to that person something like, you know, the only way 
to eternal life to heaven is to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Or you say to them, you know, God makes it clear in his word that sex outside of marriage between a husband and a wife is taboo. Or if you say to them, you know, God values all life and to take the life of the unborn is a sin in God's sight. It's a horrible act. Or if you say to them, those who refuse God who don't want to follow God are going to spend an eternity in hell. Oftentimes, the response you will get is, well, if that's the God that I have to follow, then, then I don't want anything to do with that kind of God because that kind of God is a monster. That kind of God is not loving. That's not the God I serve. So a lot of people are at war with God. They're at war with the God of the Bible. They're at war with the Creator. They may be at peace with the God they've kind of come up with, but the true God, no, we're at war with this God. And, you know, just to take this kind of lesson a little step further, even those of us who have come to believe that Jesus is the only way, we still have vestiges of, of that anger in our hearts toward God, that war towards God in our souls. And it comes out when we feel crossed by God, when we feel like he crosses our will. Has that ever happened to you? I got to be honest with you, there are times that I get mad with God, don't you? I got mad at God when my, when my mom passed away because of how she passed the agony and the suffering that she went through. I get mad at God sometimes when he allows children to suffer or be abused or, or to die at an early age. And I get mad at God sometimes when, when I'm praying about a certain situation that I believe is so right and, and God just needs to do something and he doesn't seem to do it. He seems absent. We all know. We all know that experience. And how it robs us of of the peace that we could have. And God says to us, I don't need you focusing on your circumstances. I need, you, I need you to understand what's at the core of what's between us. And it is your sinfulness. And the only way we can have peace is we have to put faith in Christ and what he's done for us that there's no promise in this world or in this life that our circumstances will ever bring us peace. The only means of peace is to be reconciled to the Creator and then realize that the rest of my life on this earth is meant to be a witness. I'm a citizen of heaven now. I am meant through my suffering, through my pain, through my loss, through my hurt, I am meant to show forth the grace of God. And we're going to talk more about this in the next upcoming message in a couple of weeks when I talk about the shield of faith. Because God sometimes uses our hardships to refine us, to bring us, listen to this, to bring us into a deeper place of peace than what we would otherwise have ever known. And so think about it this way. God comes to the table, so to speak. And he offers us peace. It's like in the great wars, right? When the victory 
when a, when a nation who's won the victory, they come to the table and the, and the enemy that's been defeated comes to the other side and they sign those documents of surrender. Peace comes when I finally come before God's table, so to speak, and I surrender myself to him. I acknowledge the war. I acknowledge that I've been disobedient, that I'm sinful, and I surrender my whole life, mind, will, motions, and bodies, relationship, my, my finances, my whole life. I just put it on the table and say, it's yours. I submit to you, God. In the believer's life, you know, those moments when I've been angry with God, you know, God is good, God is patient, God is graceful with me. I have to work through those points and then, and then be able to come to God and say, God, I don't understand this, but I surrender it to you because I know you know what is best. I know you're in control. So I surrender to you. And when we surrender to God, there's a readiness that comes into our life. Let's visit that again. When I surrender to God, there comes a readiness to follow. You can't follow until you surrender. When I surrender to God, there's a readiness to do his will. It's like, God, I'm tired of trying my own will. Not my will, but thy will be done. When I surrender, there's a readiness to forgive others because I realize how I've been forgiven. When I surrender, there's a readiness to be generous because I realize God has been so generous to me. When I surrender, there's a readiness to love the unlovely because I realize how unlovely I was and God loved me. When I surrender, there's a readiness to serve without recognition because I am so caught up in what God has done for me. And when I surrender, there's a readiness to suffer and die for Christ because I realize what he's done for me. That is what it means to have peace in our life. A peace that brings a readiness. A peace that brings a readiness. I love what the Pastor Puritan William Grinnell in the 1600s said. It's so simple and so true. He said, once we have the good news, there can never be bad news. Isn't that true? I mean, once you know the good news of what God has done for you, is there any other bad news? I mean, I know we live in a bad news world. <clears throat> I know stuff happens all the time to us and around us. But the good news is, I am saved by God's grace and his love. I'm loved by God. And God's going to take me home someday. In the meantime, I have an internal peace that the world can't take away because of what God has done for me. Remember our big idea? Remember what we said? We said, peace does not depend on my changing circumstances. Instead, it rests on knowing and experiencing what God has done for me in spite of any situation. Do you know that? Do you realize that? Let's visit that stork and her babies again. Look at them there. And that sense of peace with the tumultuous waves all, or the tumultuous waterfalls all around them. Why are they at peace? Because they're on a solid rock. You and I can have peace because we stand on a solid rock of redemption of what Christ has done for us. Peace comes out of Christ, not out of my circumstances. Do you know that peace? How can you know that peace? How can you live that peace out? Look what it says in Colossians 3. Paul's writing there, and he says, put on your new nature. So just like he wrote to Ephesians, put on the armor of God, he says, 
put on our new nature, which is the armor of God. And be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So this is a growth process. It doesn't happen all at once, right? We are discovering our salvation. He goes on, he says, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Think about that for a minute. Christ lives in all of us. See, why do we go through suffering? Well, Christ went through suffering. So when you suffer, Christ feels your suffering. He still suffers for the world through us. Christ lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And look what he says. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, because he lives in us. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Now, what I want to do is I just want to give you six ways to take those verses and begin to pray them into your life, pray them into the lives of others and practice them in order to know that peace that will produce that readiness in your life. Here we go. Number one, I want to challenge you and myself to daily surrender to the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Romans 8 tells us about that. The Spirit of God lives in you. He's the one that produces Christ in you. Surrender every day to Him. Surrender yourself. Surrender your circumstances every day to the Lord. Number two, begin to see yourself and others through the lens of God's grace. We talked about that when we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. Start to see yourself. When you look in the mirror, see yourself through God's eyes, not your eyes or the eyes of other people. Remember, we know ourselves as we're known, so don't know yourself in light of what other people think about you. Know yourself in how God thinks about you. And try to see others the same way. Even your enemies. The Bible says we're to love our enemies, for God so loved the world. Number three, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in you, so pay attention to him, not to yourself and to others. Get your eyes off of people. Keep your eyes on Christ. In this political season, keep your eyes off of people. Keep your eyes on Christ. Number four, practice the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Choose one a day. and Just say, God, help me to, help me to conquer this. I've been working on, on the issue of complaining every day. I've been asking God to help me overcome complaining by being kind in my thoughts, in my words. So choose a different aspect of love because that, you know, it's not the fruits of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's just different manifestations of love and say, God, I want to overcome impatience. Help me to be patient. God, I want to overcome being grumpy. <laughs> Help me to have joy. God, I want to overcome being impatient. Help me to have peace. Whatever it is God is speaking to you. 
Number five, give space for people's weaknesses. God does for yours, right? We all have our weaknesses. Guy gives space to that. I'm not talking about letting people be abusive and run you over. That's not what I mean. But you know, in your marriage, your family, in your work life, how irritated we get with each other. You know, we expect perfection out of people that we would never expect out of ourselves. Give space. God gives space to you and me. And number six, let the peace of Christ govern your whole life. Just begin to imagine you've got this great big letter P on your chest. It stands for peace. The peace of Christ, let that govern your life. And the only way that can happen is when you come to that table that we talked about and you surrender yourself to the peace of God through Christ Jesus. Do you know that peace today? That's the starting point. It's the starting point. It's the fountain that will then give life to all the action of peace, all the readiness that we need in our lives day to day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask you to help us be women and men and students and children of peace. God, we pray that we would stop looking to our externalities, our our circumstances, our situations for peace. God, please help us to stop that. Help us to expect in this world, in this life, we will not have peace, but we have peace in Christ. So we can move through the most difficult challenges and situations perched on a solid rock of Christ and what he's done for us. Father, your son, our Lord Jesus said, peace I give you, not as the world gives. It's so circumstantial. But I give you my peace, a settlement between me and my father. Father, may we embrace that peace. May we find joy in that peace. May we dig into that peace. May that peace overtake our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. See you next weekend.